When Cos Marte went to prison in 2009, he was faced with not one, but two big challenges. Lose weight and discover a legitimate career upon release. Luckily for him, overcoming the first obstacle helped him find the answer to the other. Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. Cos Marte, a former drug kingpin, is now helping others get into shape through his fitness company, Conbody. Conbody markets a prison-style boot camp based on Marte's former prison workout routine. Ironically, his studio is located in the very same neighborhood on Manhattan's Lower East Side, where he used to sell drugs. In addition to running his fitness studio, Marte is now out with a new book called Con Body, the revolutionary bodyweight prison boot camp born from an extraordinary story of hope. Koss is with me now in the studio. Koss, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, George. I really appreciate it. So did you ever think you'd be in the position you are in today, a successful fitness entrepreneur with a new book out? No, it's it's been crazy. Uh, I remember the last time I saw you. Well, the first time we met was four years ago. Yeah. And I was like running classes in this like 400 square foot ballet studio, just screaming my lungs out. And now it's like a book, a potential movie coming out. I've been filming a documentary for a while. Um, and, and we opened up our own location and, and opening up a second location soon. So it's been a lot since I've been out of prison, uh, and I only came home almost five years. So Right. I did a story on you for National Public Radio. Only five years, only five years. and you've risen so far. Yeah, it's been crazy. <laughs> it's been crazy. You weren't uh, even con body when I met you. You were cost athletics. Cost athletics, yep. yep. So I, I changed the name from cost athletics to con body uh, due to the fact that people didn't understand what it was, and I wanted to really like, state the name that this is a prison-style boot camp and when you saw cost athletics people thought that it was like teaching people how to play basketball or something and i'm like no it's a prison style boot camp so and i was scared in the beginning of like putting myself out there and and letting people know what it was and then i said i have nothing to lose and just put it out there well let's rewind here you grew up on manhattan's lower east side yep what was the lower east side like when you were growing up yeah, growing up in the Lower East Side in the 80s and 90s was not a, a pretty pay- place. It was very heavily drug-infested. I remember as a kid seeing heroin lines up and down the building and uh, people just buying drugs and gunshots and prostitution on my block. And it was just it was a whole different world from what you see now, the galleries and portals as no more kids. I mean, I was a kid that was like always running around with all the neighborhood kids in a park, and that was that was the life I lived. You were smoking marijuana at 11 years old, right? Yeah, I, I started smoking weed at 11. Uh, one of my family members gave it to me, and then I, I started dealing drugs at 13. At 13? Yeah. How did you get involved with dealing drugs? It was uh, supply and demand. I was I was always hustling. I was uh, as a, Even as a kid, I was like selling baseball cards that I stole in the economy candy story uh but i um i got involved because uh, i started smoking weed and i was known as a kid that was like smoking weed in in school and, and people would ask me you know can you get me a bag here or there and it became supply demand like some you know all right i'll get this i'll get that and then eventually i went up to my cousin i was like i want an ounce of weed and i bought the ounce of weed for 100 bucks and, and flipped it to 300 bucks and i was like wow it's like the most money I've ever seen in a week, you know, as a as a thirteen year old kid. So, can we say you got a high on the money, if you will? Oh, definitely. That was that was uh, 
that was my passion and that's what I always wanted to do when I was a kid is is be rich and make money and and due to the fact like you know seeing my mom struggle and and seeing her work in factories and you know making ends meet was not enough for me your mom worked in a factory your dad in a bodega yep yep so the weed led to what we led to dealing coke uh quickly um i remember the first time i dealt coke i was uh i was just standing in the corner um and due to the coke dealer not being there the guy was like oh i need something and i was like all right i'll be back and i'll go get it and then it became again like supply and demand and i saw the opportunity the money that you could make off of it and i seen that the profit margins were higher than than marijuana so i i uh again got small little eight ball from there just started escalating um and, and at 19 i was running one of the largest uh, drug delivery services in new york city i was making over two million dollars a year i uh i changed the way we sold drugs instead of like me sitting on a milk crate at the time i I made 10,000 business cards. I went up to every, like, new, fresh. This is, like, the early 2000s, late 90s, when, like, all the hipsters started moving to the Lower East Side. And and I just started, you know, approaching them. Like, I got this, I got that. And it became became a movement. Were you a one-person operation, or did you have people working with you? Yeah, I had had a team over uh, 20 people. Um, I mean, I had a part. My partner was Joey. Um, and we would be up for three days at a time, you know, basically. So we'd knock out those days that we, I will be so tired from dealing that we'll be driving, stop at a red light and just pass out at the red light. And we'll have like cops, like opening up the door, like step out of the car and be like, oh, shit. how many times were you arrested? Around 10. Yeah. What did your mom think? I got, I got arrested at 13, uh, for dealing weed. Um, in the in local park across the street. And my mom, you know, was very disappointed at that time. Um, obviously, she didn't want me to go and, and and deal. I don't know. She was she was very disappointed. She was very angry at me. She didn't want me to deal with, uh, be dealing in that lifestyle. But I, uh, I, 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 was, I thought I was grown. And, and I always said, well, who, who else is going to support me? What, what are you going to get me? So I was like had that stubborn attitude, like, I have to get it on my own. So you didn't learn your lesson after that first arrest? Oh, no, definitely not. What kind of lifestyle were you living? Well, I, when I was making a lot of money, I mean, I remember, you know, even <laughs> my friend Joy and I, we would just, like, go to Fifth Avenue and just shop and spend so much money on Louis Vuitton, all the BS stuff that we was buying, um... And and I remember one day we even got like oh we went to Central Park and got a horse and carriage and like got in a horse and carriage and was like thought we were pimps with men coats and like with pimp sticks and and uh, I mean we were not pimping any girls or anything but we was just like riding around went through the actual like drive through a McDonald's drive through with uh with the horse and carriage in Manhattan <laughs> on 34th Street and was like just smoking blinds and thought we were like on top of the world you were living the life yeah, in your eyes lavish houses, vacations all that stuff lavish vacations just going in and out of the country Puerto Rico it was it was it was crazy and we were those days that we would spend like 25 to 30 grand in one day wow so when did all of that come crashing down once and for all? It was, uh, you know, it was it was a series of, of events that happened. Uh, I, I, obviously, I had like a whole team 
And uh, one of my dispatchers who was, um, you know, coordinating people and sending people to the, des- the destinations to make the deliveries basically went behind my back and I'd like started stealing my clients and eventually I took his phone away not knowing that his phone was being tapped by federal agents and when I I took that phone I started using that phone and the feds ran up on us um at 20 when I was 23 and then you were sent to prison yep for how long I was sentenced to seven years I, I did a total of six years in prison and you were not in good health when you went to prison yeah, that's that's when I when I went into prison. I found out that my my cholesterol levels was so high that I could probably die of a heart attack. Uh, they told me within five years that I was in danger of dying, um, and, and that's what what I, I, I begin to book with is like what you know the the journey of me going inside and um, and dealing with those health issues and what did I do that first day I. I heard about these problems. So essentially, you were given a death sentence, even though you didn't get a death sentence from yeah. a judge. Yeah. yeah. And what did go through your mind when doctors told you just how poor your health was? I I was surprised. I like, took a step back and I'm like, are you, are you sure? Because I, I didn't feel like I was going to die. You know, I've seen people that were like extremely way more overweight than I did. How heavy were you? I was, I was 231. but I, I How a, tall are you? I had a 5'8 frame. So it's pretty short, pretty stubby, but obviously like all the stuff that I was like eating and and drinking and smoking and all this other stuff that I was doing was affecting my body. Um, and and I didn't I didn't believe him until I like went back to my son. I was like, damn, I need to I need to do something about this. So I, I like quickly started doing like little workouts in my cell, like push ups, jumping jacks, dips off the side of my bed. And in five minutes, I said, after that, um, <laughs> I can't do this. And just, like, passed out on my bed. And uh, it was not till the next morning when I decided I-, I need to start moving. So you were living for your child at that point. You were saying your son. Yeah. How yeah. old was he at the time? My son was around two and a half when I, when I got that news, or around three. You didn't want to die in prison? D- definitely didn't want to die in prison. So then how did you work up enough motivation to keep going? It, be, it became a routine. Um, I I started seeing my body change. I, I was running laps around the prison yard. People would call me Fat Forrest Gump and all these honey bun jokes. And um, and, and it just became a routine. Like if I missed a day, I was like, uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't feel comfortable. It was a time where, you know, I had, you know, just – time to concentrate on my body and, and focus on myself. So I really took advantage of my, my prison time. And what, what made me keep going was the camaraderie we built while I was in prison. I helped over 20 inmates lose over 1,000 pounds combined. So we started this whole, like, running club and, like, working out in the prison yard together. And, and every day, like, twice a day, we were, like, meeting up, doing stuff. Um, and I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was just, like, us working out until – the end of my incarceration. So people were ridiculing you at first and then they wanted oh, yeah. to work out with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, and it was just, it's, it's, it was just crazy. Did that ridicule make you want to give up at times though when you were first being made fun of? I actually, I was, I wanted, I did not want to give up, but I wanted to curse them out. Uh-huh. I wanted to fight them back and I, sometimes I would run with my middle finger up uh, and I would just put my head down and just keep moving. So eventually, though, people were looking 
to you for inspiration? Yeah, it was one one uh one incident where this this kid named Bus, uh, he was like literally the size of the bus, like three hundred and twenty pounds, around five six, a little bit shorter than me. Um, came up to me and was like, I wanna I wanna start running with you. And uh and I was like, All right, let's do this. You know, and that but before that and I was like, I used to look like you. Not I was not that big, but I showed him like my prison ID. It was like, get that fatty here. He didn't see that I lost all the weight. And he was like, Damn, I wanna do that. So like we started running and then uh he brought two of his friends out and he started we, they started running with us and started doing workouts and then we started eventually like forming a little small circle and I was leading the workouts in a in the middle of them and um it was just like team building, you know. Where did you serve your time? I was in Coxsackie, Green, um all over state, like Lakeview, uh Ulster, yeah, all over New York State. So how quickly did the weight fall off? Uh, so uh, in the first three months, I lost 40 pounds. And then, then I lost like in the next three months, I lost uh, like around 30 pounds. Can you eat yeah. well in prison? You uh, <laughs> you don't get the best meals in a prison uh, mess hall. Uh, but if you have family and you have uh, some some type of money, you, you're allowed to buy some commissary. And you get whatever you could get in calamari, and you also get packages. Uh, in medium facilities, you're allowed like 35 pounds of food, which is like tuna cans, salmon cans, stuff like that. And I also talk about my prison menu, uh, and I like really broke down what you shouldn't be eating a prison menu of what I wrote in the book, but what you could really substitute it with in, in the real life if you're not if you're not inside. So, what can you substitute? Uh, so like we were like eating Mac, Jack Mac in a can, um, and, and we was just like cleaning that out, putting a little bit of lemon lime. And I mean, if you get a nice piece of salmon in the street, you could do the same thing. Um, uh, but we was just substituting with like fish to fish, meat to meat. Uh, we, we didn't have any eggs unless you went to the mess hall and you ate like the plastic McDonald looking eggs or worse than that. But, um. Um, I mean, I, I try to consume as much protein as I can. I decrease, like, my carbs, stop eating bread, stop eating, like, the juices. I was just strictly drinking water, eating fruit, um, and, that, and that's what I did. How supportive was your family while you were in prison? My, this last stint that I did, um, they, was, they were supportive, but they didn't believe that, the, that I was going to come home and, and change my life. And and I would, I would like repeat that to them like I'm not going back to the same thing I'm I'm changing I'm doing this I'm doing that and they'd be like yeah you know like you know it, it was the same story you know I said that before so why would they believe me again you know um, but it, it took a while it took a while for me to like reprove myself and re really talk to them and uh, and let them know like look at you know I'm I'm doing this for real and once they started seeing the the movement, once they seen your piece that came out of NPR, they was like, oh, shit, this is real, you know? So that was like, that was four years ago. Um, and, and I haven't stopped since, you know, now I have 17 employees, you know, it's been a, it's been a movement. And you employ individuals who are also formally incarcerated, right? Yeah, that's what, that's what our whole mission is about at Combody is to hire people coming out of prison, uh, to teach our fitness classes, to work at our front desk, to you know, be our maintenance people, 
and, and we want to carry this out and, and grow this nationally and maybe globally one day. How challenging was the transition for you when you were let out of prison and you went back to the Lower East Side, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not the same neighborhood, um, but I, I, I was tempted, you know, by people. I, I Mentally, I was straight, and I said I was not going back. And and when people would approach me to do something, I'd be like, I don't even know where to find a cigarette, you know, so like... Um, I was I was just really focused on on doing the right thing. Uh, I went back to my mom's house, slept on her couch for about a year. Um, was trying to find jobs. Uh, went to like Harold Square, Times Square, everywhere you could think of, like applying for any job. And I was being shut down. But I uh, I created my own job. I was I was actually doing like housekeeping on the side, um, cl- scrubbing toilets and cleaning people's apartments and like doing anything to make ends meet um i was working for like eight dollars an hour you know and uh, trying to trying to do whatever i can but paying my mom's uh couch rent (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just how hard is it for someone with a criminal record to get a job how challenging was it for you out there uh for me it was it was extremely difficult um it it took a while. It, it took a lot of knocking on doors, especially with it, with the record of that I have. I have three felonies. Um, it was it was not easy, man. I was uh, some sometimes I would I would get frustrated and want to give up, but you you know the only the only time you quit is when when you stop doing it, you know. And and I I just didn't stop, you know. I I was like super laser focused. And those days I, I got up and I was my body hurts because I was like training in the morning, training in the evening, um, and just going up to people, random people, just talking to them, and that's what I kept doing. You know, it's just nonstop pitching, um, and I just eventually made it happen. When did the light bulb go off? I'm going to start my own fitness routine and sell it to other people. <laughs> so this everything went off. Um, Actually, when I when I was in prison and and I ended it ended up in solitary confinement. I was in a, in a nine by six prison cell, twenty uh, four hour lockdown. Had nothing to do. I got into some problem with some officer there, and and I was supposed to go home in two two months. Um, and I finished. My son just finished visiting me, and I told him I was coming home. But I en- I ended up doing a, a extra year in prison. Um, behind that situation and um and it was a time where i was it's like this is i i can't go back to doing the wrong thing you know um i had like a spiritual transformation that happened to me while i was in solitary confinement and uh and and there's where the light bulb went off and i said i took a long sheets of file paper the pen used like the side of my bible and started drawing out like a whole spreadsheet and wrote out every single workout that I did and started organizing for every day of the week. And I, I still use like the same routine and, and um and switch it up every so often. But you know, I still have that those those notes, you know. That's uh that was like that was my Bible, like this is what I'm gonna do. Now you won a shark tank like competition, right? To provide you some seed money to get a business yeah. off the ground. Yeah. Yeah, so uh I, I went through this program called The Five Ventures. The Five Ventures is a program that helps 
basically illegal entrepreneurs become legal entrepreneurs, people that are coming out of prison that want a second chance. Uh, and it's like a whole MBA program. So I went through that program, graduated from it. They taught us how to pitch. They taught us how to create a real business plan. And and they connected us with a lot of mentors and, and people that are willing to help our, our demographic of people. And, um, and, and I, I got the opportunity to be connected with uh, the YPO. Uh, Barbara Corcoran had a small, like, Shark Tank competition, and I got to, to pitch there. I was, I was going against, like, MIT, MBA students, you know, like, really smart people that had, like, a whole bunch of funding. And I'm going there with, like, a Rikers Island education, you know, like, but I, I did it, and I won that competition, and and I made it happen, and I took that seed funding, and uh, and I started I started searching for studio spaces with that. It was it was extremely difficult trying to find space because I was being discriminated against by a lot of uh, landowners telling me, you know, because I would tell them I'm doing like a prison style boot camp. It's going to be amazing when I have people that are coming out of prison, and they'll be like, "What? I'm not having that in my facility. I'm sorry." And I, and I was going, like, knocking. I went to probably, like, two dozen spaces. Um, and it was not until I found a spot on Broom and Eldridge on the exact same corner where I, I, I sold drugs at, got locked up at, and opened up the gym now. Huh. Um, and I went back to a full circle, and I opened up there. And and this Buddhist lady who's the landowner, like, said, you know, I like your story, I, and I want to take a second chance with you. Even, like, the coal uh, real estate agent I was on a deal I was like telling her like I don't know about this blah 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 I mean I haven't been late on rent she's been extremely happy with all, all we've done and um, we're looking to resign a renewal lease with them uh, next year how many people were in those initial classes it was a handful of people I know when I first started in the park I, I, I was extremely happy when I first had my two clients together and I was like I looked up to this guy. I was like, I'm doing it. You know, and now it's like we've trained over 20,000 people. Wow. And it's been a crazy journey. You know, online, we have this online platform where you can virtually work out for $5 a month for your favorite ex-con. But um, I've been traveling around the world, did three TED Talks already. Like, it's been it's been crazy, man. I would never think this would happen. And and just looking back at the, I remember the exact same day we linked up, you know, and I was like, Damn. Yeah, we took a walk around your old yeah. neighborhood. You yeah. showed me, you know, that street corner where yeah. you sold drugs. And people knew you. People recognized you right away oh, yeah. on the streets of yeah. the Lower East Side. Yeah. How proud are folks in the neighborhood of you now? You're uh, a different kind of person, right, to them, I yeah. would think. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's still guys doing their thing, you know, and, and uh, it's hard to leave that lifestyle, you know, but they, they look at me and they're like, I hope one day I could work for you, you know, like I want to be a part of your movement. Um, and, and people are inspired, you know, they seen me, you know, when they see me, they looked at me like I was crazy when I told them, like, look, I'm going to start this boot camp in the park, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I was there by myself most mornings and just doing, you know, going after people and telling people and grouping people together. Um, but it was just a nonstop hustle, and every day asking. My goal was, I mean, I still take Uber pulls and get on the train, and 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 sometimes I would, I would get on the train and be like, and ladies and gentlemen, I, I you know, and give the speech, 
and pitch, you know, and I was like nonstop asking, making people aware. And I just bumped into the, the right people. You know, you not, you ask enough times, you, you'll receive what you ask for. So do you see yourself using the same skills that you use as a drug dealer now here? I mean, you were an entrepreneur back then. You're yeah. just a different kind of an entrepreneur right now. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just you, I use the same guerrilla marketing tactics. You know, when I when I was selling drugs, I made ten thousand business cards. I went up to every person that looked like they used drugs and made it happen. And that's exactly what I did. I mean, ten thousand postcards went up to the train, gave it my out, like you know, just went straight guerrilla marketing, and it went from like getting one person to two people to half full of people, and then you know where where I had a room where I couldn't fit people, and I had like. 20 people in a 500 square foot space and people would be like this is too crowded and i'm like this is how prison is you know and like uh just trying to go with the theme you know and and now it's like incredibly like packed we have waiting lists and and we're we're hoping to like uh, raise some money to to open up another location really soon what is your advice to people who are sitting on the couch with a bag of chips who <laughs> feel like they can't take that first step to working out throw away the <laughs> chips <laughs> Get your ass moving. You know, I know when, you, when you're stuck in a route and it's, you get to those lazy moments because I still have those lazy moments where you don't want to do anything. But promise me this, like when you, uh, when you start moving and you start re, you know, doing something, you just feel so good after. You feel so accomplished. You feel like, I don't know, you did something in your life, you know, instead of just like watching Netflix and eating Lay's all day, you know, so... Yeah, once you once you do something and keep moving and you start getting addicted, you know, you start saying like I, I can't miss a day, I need to do this and and you go like seven days a week and you're like, I miss today and like I need to keep moving. So uh commit yourself to, to one week and then commit yourself to two weeks, commit yourself to a month, you know, take your little baby steps and, and little baby goals and then eventually you'll you'll get there. And that's what this book is all about, helping people to take that first step and walking them all the way through the training program. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we, we uh, out, outline exactly a 90-day program that I created while I was in solitary confinement um, and what you can do to, to make that happen. All the steps are in there. The images are in there yeah, as well. Yeah. It's a picture book, so it's easy to read. Yeah. I mean, I read it in an hour. Um, so it, it shows you exactly every single move you need to do. And you don't need fancy equipment. You don't even need dumbbells, right, yeah. to do most of these exercises, if not all of these exercises. Yeah, no equipment at all. All body weight. Um, I actually demonstrate the pull-up bar, though, in the book. Uh, but you really don't need a pull-up bar. If you get a towel, you wrap it around a, a pole or something, you know, you, you can make it happen. So um, it's, it's, it's specifically... For those people that live in a small prison cell space like New York City. No excuses. No. Do the time. Yeah, that's your motto, right? Do the, Do the time. time. That's it. Just a different kind of time. Yeah. How many people come to you and want to talk to you to find an inspiration? People who are leaving prison, who see you, want to know more about your story and how they can follow in your footsteps. If you want to get involved, you could just follow us on Instagram, Conbody, and, and, and hit us up on a DM. It always goes down on the DM. Uh, you know, Twitter, Combody NYC, Combody through Facebook, anywhere, or every social media platform is Combody. Or, you know, you just 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 come to the studio, you know, where we're located at 294 Broom Street. Come to the Lower East Side, 
we build the facility to look like a prison. So you take a mugshot, three minute showers, we'll put you through the test and, and just and start getting involved. And, and Cop the Book is on is available on pre order on Amazon today and it's coming out March eighteenth. What's the family think of you now? They don't stop talking about me. You know, before I remember my brother coming out and my brother used to, you know, worked in, ran for city council and... and Christopher. And Christopher Marte. Uh, and and it was working with a lot of important people and in the finance world as well. And would never mention that he had a brother. Wow. How did now, that make you feel? It was, it was sad, you know. It was sad, but I understood why. So... But now he's like he's he's using me, you know. So, <laughs> but he's he's an amazing guy, and um, and we work to, well together, you know. So, my family's extremely proud. You know, my mom comes to the gym four times a week. She's sixty three years old. She's a beast, <laughs> uh, you know. So it's, any fitness level is available to do this. If my mom is sixty three, you have no excuse, you know. Like, you could just start getting moving, follow the instructions, and get and and get into shape. What about your son? Does he like to work out with dad? I don't know about that, man. He's like, he, he likes telling people what to do instead of working out. <laughs> he's a good kid. He's a good kid. No, he he moves sometimes, but he's more into like sports right now. So I'm, I'm trying to convince him to get into the family business, but he's he's 10 years old now. He's thinking about it. You know, he still has time. All right, Cost, anything you didn't talk about that you would want to add? You know, I got, I'm trying to get in that New York Times bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Cost Marte, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. Cos Marte is a former drug kingpin turned fitness entrepreneur. More information about his prison-style boot camp at conbody.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. My thanks to producer Caroline Rotante. My name is George Goldarki. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>